Welcome to Calvary Chapel of Columbia, where we're unpacking God's truths one verse at a time. And now here's Pastor Tim with today's message. John chapter 8. We're, we're doing a, a, a study on the, uh, of the life and the ministry of Jesus in chronological order, as you know, and um, we come to one of those passages that is so well known. You know, um, I think probably everybody's heard it. If you've come to church at, at all, you've, you've heard something about Jesus being the light of the world. You know, it's, it's an incredible passage. There's some great truths inside of it. So we don't want to waste a lot of time um, talking about it. Let's just get right into it. If you would stand with me, we're going to read John chapter um, 8, beginning in verse 12. We read, and again, again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, you are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Jesus answered, Even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true, for I know where I came from and where I'm going, but you do not know where I come from or where I'm going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true, for it, was not it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. They said to him, Therefore, where is your Father? Jesus answered, You know neither me nor my Father. If you knew me, you would know my Father also. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. So he said to them again, I'm going away, and you will seek me, and you will die in your sins. Where I'm going, you, you cannot come. So the Jews said, will he kill himself since he says, where I'm going, you cannot come? He said to them, you are, you are from below, I am from above. You are, the, you are of this world, I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins unless you believe that I am he. You will die in your sins. So they said to him, who are you? Jesus said to them, just what I've been telling you from the beginning. I have much to, stay, to say about you and much to judge, but he who sent me is true, and I declare to the world that I have heard from him. They, said not, uh, they, they did not understand that he had been speaking to them about the Father. So Jesus said to them, when you, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me, and he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. As he was saying these things, many believed in him. And Father, we thank you for your word this morning. God, we thank you for this truth, this clear directive that you've given your son to come and to light up this world, to expose darkness, to help people see that there is hope. Lord, this morning, would you help us to see that? We ask that you would light up our lives, that you would help us, if anyone that's stranded in sin, Lord, that you would expose the darkness, that we might walk in your light. This morning, that you might uh, help those who have never come, never seen the path that leads to eternal life, to see it clearly this morning, Lord. That you provide a way of escape from our sin, from our bondage, all we have to do is believe upon you. Would you flood this place with faith this morning, God? We ask that you would speak into our lives. We ask that the Holy Spirit would come now and teach us these truths. Let us have ears to hear what you would have to say to us, Lord. And let us have a desire to apply it to our lives, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. The title of my sermon this morning is The Light That Leads to Life. The light that leads to life. This, for what we find in our passage this morning is the light of the world. Jesus Christ illuminating the truth that belief in him and him alone is the only way to gain the light of life. Now this truth comes at a very, very appropriate time just after the Feast of Booths or the Feast of Tabernacles that occurred. For those who, who weren't here, the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths was a time period where it was, it was a feast that happened sometime around September, October, and they would come to Jerusalem. It was the largest attended feast because it was a big camping trip. 
People would get to come to Jerusalem. They would get to set up these tents. They would take these branches, set up tents. They would leave the, the, the tops open and exposed that they might be able to see the sky. And they're remembering the Exodus, the children of Israel coming out of Egypt into the promised land. And there, were, there were many, many things that they were remembering during this time. They, they watched God provide water from a rock. Remember that? That was incredible. That rock was Jesus Christ, by the way. They watched him provide bread from heaven or manna. That was Jesus too. And they also watched him provide light. That was Jesus as well. And that's what we're going to see this morning. The fact that Jesus mentions light at this period of time, right after the, the, the um, Feast of Tabernacles had occurred, when the, it's fresh in their minds what they had just been listening to and remembering Jesus brings up, hey, remember the light. I'm the light of the world. It would be a reflection back upon the light that God would provide as they would walk through the desert. At night, it was the pillar of fire. That God would expose the darkness of the desert and he would light the path for his children to walk into the promised land. Jesus Christ had come from the Father to provide light to illuminate the path that leads to eternal Life. Now, notice with me quickly where it tells us this, this place would, where Jesus would speak this truth. It was in verse 20, it tells us, in the treasury. In the treasury. If you would throw up that picture real quick of the tabernacle, we find here the treasury that is not there. There it is. The treasury is in the corner of the um, tabernacle here on the bottom corner there. It was a place where, um, in the woman's court there. And in that place, they would... During the Feast of Tabernacles, they would bring these four candelabras that you see there with the ladders. They would bring those four candelabras and there would be four gigantic cups that would be filled with 65 gallons of olive oil that they would fill in these cups and then they would light these cups at night. These cups would remind the people of the Shekinah glory that God had shown in the desert also, it would remind them of the Shekinah glory that used to fill the temple. But it departed. No longer was that light. They had to provide light for the temple. God had provided that for them. There would be singing and dancing and celebrating until the break of dawn. No backspins, though. People celebrated the light that God had provided. So imagine if you were there with, with Jesus in that moment. And perhaps he's standing under one of those candelabras. You could, will you flip it over to the next slide? This is what it would look like, a simulation, what it would look like lit up. They say you could see the light for miles from Jerusalem as it would just light it up. Jesus now standing perhaps beneath one of these unlit candelabras in the treasury of the woman courts. He screams out in a loud voice, verse 12, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Now, this is not only a bold statement, but it's a profound statement. It's a very profound statement. It is one of the seven most profound statements that Jesus would make in the book of John, the I am statements. I say there's eight. There might be seven or eight. We don't know. There's, there, he says I am a lot. But the fact of the matter is, we know that when Jesus says I am what he is saying. He's declaring that he is God. I am. That is the name of God. Remember when Moses asked God in the desert when he was by the burning bush, when God sent him back into Egypt, he said, who should I say sent me? You don't want me to show up and not have a name, do you? They're going to ask me your name. What's your name? And God says this to Moses in Exodus chapter 3, verse 13 and 14. Then Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and, and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said this, say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. So Jesus is claiming to be God here. The great I am. Not only that, but he's also claiming to be Messiah. The light of the world. The light can be a reference to God himself. It can be a reference to truth. Jesus is the truth. He is God. But he is also the, the only way to the Father. He is truly the Messiah. He is the Savior. He is the anointed one. Promised through the Old Testament. He is declaring to these people that he is the Messiah. Now the Jews 
would totally get the reference. They would not miss what Jesus is saying here. For there was much, to, much scripture to speak about this. One of them being Isaiah chapter 42, verses 6 through 7. I am the Lord. I have called you into righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations, to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, who, uh, those who sit in darkness. Now, who did that? Who became a covenant for the people? Jesus Christ. Who, who, who by, by his hand, who, who uh, became the light to the nations? Jesus Christ. Who opened the eyes of the blind? Jesus Christ. Who brought out prisoners from the dungeon? Jesus Christ. Who brought those out from darkness? Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ did that. He's the Messiah, the light of the world. The Jews would not mistake his meaning, the meaning of his words here. But Jesus said, I am the light. For who? For the world. For the world, not just for the Jews, but for the Gentiles also. You know, Simeon, when Jesus was born, Simeon was, Jesus was brought to Simeon there and, and, and at the birth, and he, and he said in Luke chapter 2, verses 29 through 32, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory of your people Israel. Jesus Christ came for everyone. He came for the world, not just the Jew, but the Gentile alike. That means you and I, by the way. He came for you. Now notice with me what the light of the world would provide to us. It tells us two things here. First, the light of the world would provide holy living. Jesus said, whoever follows the light of the world will not walk in darkness. Will not emphatically Walk in darkness, inhabit darkness, continue to play in darkness. You, you're, not that you're not going to fall into darkness, but you're not living a lifestyle into darkness because the lights come in. When the light comes in, it illuminates things, right? It, it, it exposes things, and then you have to deal with them. Jesus Christ says, if you're following him, if you're really following him, you're not going to walk in darkness. First John 1, 6 through 7 says, if we say that we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. The reason we will not walk in darkness is because your life has now been lit up. All the sin that was hidden by the darkness is now exposed, and you can now see it, the sin, and you can deal with it. You have the power now through the Holy Spirit living in your life to deal with it. It's called repentance. To turn away and to turn to God. He's giving you that right through His Son. Beforehand, you couldn't see that. You couldn't, you had no power to deal with the sin. You needed light to shine in that you might be able to see your sin and be able to deal with it. Charles Spurgeon one time on his way to uh, teach in one evening left his home and he was walking down a street and here came a horse and carriage, and, the, and uh, he was walking close to the, to the road there, and, and, and the, the carriage hit a puddle of water, and it splashed up on Spurgeon. And he's like, oh dear, I must hurry home and you know, change my clothes and do all this kind of stuff. But then he thought for a second, well, I don't look too bad. It'll dry. So he said, well, well let me take a better look, because it was kind of dim outside. And so he walked next to a light and as he approached the light, the more dirt he saw from the mud puddle, the dirt was exposed the closer that he got to the light. That's how the light of the Lord works. That's how it works. It exposes the dirt in our lives. I remember when I first became a Christian, there were many, many things that I was doing in my life that I didn't think was there was anything wrong with. Maybe you can relate to that. And then when the light came in and it shone on your darkness, all of a sudden you realized you were faced with something that you had to change. That God's not, that's not acceptable before the Lord. You didn't know it before. You thought it was fine. You thought everything was great. But then the light came in and exposed the darkness. And now you realize, oh Lord, I have to do something about this. That's what light does. It exposes darkness. So, so he tells us that, you know, if we follow him, that we will not walk in darkness. That our lives have been changed. We no longer have to submit to the power of sin. We're dead to sin. We're alive in Christ, okay? So the second thing that he tells us is we gain the light of life. 
we gain the light of life. This is speaking of the spiritual life, which is eternal life. Mankind lost that light in the Garden of Eden. Jesus Christ was now here to give that light of life back to us. So how does a person obtain these things? By following Jesus. Now, he tells us, whoever follows me. The following Jesus is describing here is a verb, and this is really important. It literally means to go after, like seek after, to, to, to every day wake up looking to follow. It means also to obey. Two things there, and it's an action. In the tense, the, the Greek tense is, is present tense, meaning it's daily. It, the grammatical voice is active. It's a continual pursuit. It, it's a participle, which means in the Greek that is imperative. It's a must. You have to follow. It is a command. Follow me. Jesus didn't ask. He commanded, follow me. It's a decision that we have to make, and it's a daily decision that we make to follow Jesus Christ. To follow him then means to obediently, actively follow him daily. Now, this is not an ideology, but a command to actively, ever-presently, daily uh, seek him in relationship. This is not some religious, stale, stagnant, self-driven, uh, rules-orientated fun-robbing chore. It is not that. To follow Jesus is a relational, intimate, refreshing, vibrant, spirit-led, love-focused, joyous privilege. Amen? It, to follow Jesus is all of those things. It is not a chore. It's a privilege. And the result of that following is a life of holiness and a light of light, both present tense and future, eternal. Unfortunately, when Jesus was speaking, some, um, some of these folks were busy drinking Haterade. You know, the, the Pharisees were guzzling down that, that Haterade, and they rejected the light that Jesus was trying to shine down in their lives. They do this to the, to the point that they tell Jesus, hey man, of course you can say all these things because your, your testimony is, you, you're telling your testimony. No one's validating it for you. Look at verse 13. So the Pharisees said to him, you are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Now, generally speaking, that is true. Generally speaking, when somebody's bearing witness about themselves, um, as it relates to them, it's probably not all true. It can be true. Some of it can be true. But people like to embellish upon their testimonies, don't they? They like to highlight things that maybe, not, maybe didn't happen exactly this way, but the story's better if I tell it that way. And people like to do that. You ever read, you ever have to hire anybody? That's my point. The resume you receive is, more, is an embellishment upon, you know, somebody saying, I, I, I single-handedly led sales from this to this. And you're like, did you single-handedly lead sales from this to this? Well, n well, not exactly. I mean, I had other people. Okay, so you didn't single-handedly do that. But your resume says you single-handedly did that. You see what I'm saying? People like to embellish upon themselves. They like to glorify things that maybe aren't 100% true. My kids, along with 780,300 or 432 other people, like to listen to this guy named Olin Rogers, if you've ever heard of him. But this guy is hilarious. He tells life stories, you know. He tells things about his life. Now, they're funny, but I don't think they're all true. There's no way they could be all true. Now, and some of them, he says, some of the statements he does say, this is a true story, but some of he doesn't. So, so I have to think that some of these things are not fully true, but he's bearing witness of himself, so it's hard to know. So I get where the religious leaders are coming from here. I get that. We can all understand that. But this is Jesus we're talking about here. This is Jesus Christ we're talking about here. His resume speaks for itself. I mean, wasn't Jesus the one that caused people that were blind to see before their eyes? Wasn't Jesus the one where demons would bow down to him and do whatever he said before their eyes? Jesus didn't need to write a resume because they saw it. He was in action. The things that he's saying right here are things that, that should be a no-brainer for them to get because they saw him work in power. They watched him bring, bring hearing to the deaf. They watched him bring sight to the blind. They, watched, they heard of the testimonies of Jesus raising people from the dead. Do they need a testimony? Or isn't that not enough? What else do these guys need? 
They're telling, we, we, we can't take your word for it, Jesus. We're not going to believe you. Essentially, they're calling Jesus a liar. Let's just boil it down to one word. Liar. That's what they're saying to him. Look at verse 14. How does Jesus deal with people calling him a liar? I think you might be convicted by this. He says this. Even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true, for I know where I come from and where I'm going, but you do not know where I come from or where I'm going. You and I should take note of how Jesus deals with these haters. He does not unleash the wrath of God, unlike the sons of thunder. Should we call fire down from heaven? And there's times in my life when people don't believe what I'm saying that I would like to see them melt before me. Not really, but you know what I'm saying. You feel that way sometimes. You're trying to express something and people aren't, aren't believing you and you're just like, man, why would I make that up? What, what do I have to gain by something like that? Jesus, Jesus just says, listen, he points them back to truth. He points them back to truth. That's what you and I should do. Just point them back to truth. Jesus said, because I bear witness about myself doesn't necessarily mean what I'm saying is untrue. And that is a true statement. You can't assume because I'm speaking on my own behalf that it isn't true, particularly when it comes to light. When you walk in a room, does the light have to testify to you that it's on? Or do you just know it's there? It testifies of itself, right? Yes, if you can see. But if you cannot see, it needs somebody to testify to them. Jesus gets that. He's dealing with spiritually blind people. He doesn't hammer them down because they're spiritually blind. He understands where they're at and he meets them right where they're at. I'm saying to you that when you are ministering to somebody and you're having a tough time, meet them where they are. Don't get upset. Don't start to hurl accusations. Don't take it personally. Jesus met these people right where they are. I get that you can't see the light because you're spiritually blind. So let me explain it to you a little bit more. There's, there's three things that I'll give you here. Three things that I'll tell you that will help you understand. Uh, first of all, let me point to my heavenly origin. You don't know where I come from, where I came from, he said. You, you don't know where I came from. You don't know where I'm going, but I do know. I know where I came from. I know where I'm going. You don't. The Lord was always conscious of his heavenly origin and his destiny. I don't know when he came to that conclusion, by the way. I think it was revelation by the Father through to the Son. I think he I didn't think as a baby when he was nine months old that he he was like, I must do my father's will. You know, he wasn't speaking, he was a baby. It says here that he learned. The father gave him things and he learned things from his father. I, I believe that just like your purpose in this world is revealed to you through revelation of the father, through the spirit of God, maybe through his word, through other people. That's how he confirms those things. But it's you and God. And he reveals those things. Jesus was the same way, man. He is God in the flesh, yes, but he was just like you and I, relating to you and, you and I the same way totally submissive to whatever God the Father wanted to do in his life. Jesus knew that he was from the Father and that he was going to the Father. He said this in John chapter 16, verse 28. I came from the Father and have come into the world, and now I am leaving the world and going to the Father. He knew where he came from and where he was going. There was no question in his mind about that. These men did not, however. They had no idea where Jesus came from. Well, they thought they knew, but they were absolutely incorrect. If they did know where Jesus came from and where he was going, they would believe that he is everything that he says he is. That he is everything that he says he is. There are many, many people in this world that think they know all about Jesus and they know nothing about him. They think they know everything about Jesus Christ, and yet when you talk to them, they know nothing about Jesus Christ. And it starts with their actions, the way that they treat people. You know, there are many, many people in this world that, that will, will do things in the name of Jesus Christ, and they'll say, I know Jesus Christ, and the way that they present Jesus is completely opposite of what the Bible says. Completely opposite of what the testimony of, of Jesus Christ himself and the way that he treats people. Man, when it comes to sinners, do you see Jesus the way he treats people when it comes to sinners? 
He loves people right where they are, even religious people. Even religious people, he loves them right where they are. He doesn't, he doesn't, he's not ready to condemn people because he didn't come to condemn people. He came to save them. And man, if the Lord would just shine through us a little in that light, that we might say, hey, I know a little about Jesus. Let me explain to you, man. He'll, he loves you and he wants to forgive you for your sin. And he wants to change your life. Yeah, I know, but man, my life's a wreck and there's no way that God would want anything. No, no, you don't understand. That's Jesus. He loves you right where you are. He, he told me to go fishing, but then he told me he cleaned the fish up when I brought him. So you don't have to worry about that. You just come. You just come now, man. I'm simply a beggar telling another beggar where to get some bread, you know. Just come. Jesus Christ will do the work in your life. He loves you. But, but we see people, the complete opposite, saying, man, God hates you. He hates, your, he hates everything about you. Well, he hates the sin, yes. But he loves the person. And he loves that person right where they are, no matter what that sin might be, by the way. I know we kind of have a little, you know, our sin, ga sin gauge. Well, this one slipped over into the unforgivable place. You know, I don't think I can forgive that one. You know, we have this little meter we use. And, and Jesus says, well, get rid of the meter because, you know, there, there's nothing I won't forgive anybody for except for rejecting me. Blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Jesus goes on here in, in, in verse 15 and he tells them, you judge according to the flesh. You judge according to the flesh. What he's saying to these guys is that you're coming from a place of, of imperfection. The flesh, your view is tainted. Therefore, the way that you see me is tainted. And I'm telling you, just get rid of your goggles there because they're not working. Listen to me. Have a little faith. Have a little faith. Look in the Word of God. It speaks about me. He tells the Pharisees that. You search the Scriptures for in them and you think that they find, you find life, but I tell you they speak of me. Just look. If you would only look. Jesus tells these guys, you judge, but I am, I'm not judging. Jesus didn't come to judge. Oh, there'll be a time when Jesus will judge. Make no mistake about that. There will be a time when Jesus will judge, but... That's after he's given every person every ounce of opportunity that they could ever have to come to know him. When you leave this world, you will meet the judge, Jesus Christ. While you were still living, he wants to be Savior. That's what he's telling these guys. I didn't come to judge. I didn't come to judge you. I came to save the world, John 3.17 tells us. Jesus defends himself first by pointing to his heavenly origin. Secondly, by pointing to his equality with the Father. Look at verse 16. Yet even I, if I do judge, my judgment is true. For it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. Jesus is saying, I have the right to judge. Because I am, I am God. That I, I, but I, don't even, I wouldn't even judge according to my, by my own standards. It's by my Father. So therefore I can. And, and there's something in that that I just want to cover real quick. Christians, listen, the reality of Matthew chapter 7, verse 1, do not judge lest you be judged, doesn't mean you don't point out sin. That's not what it means. And people love to quote it that way. Don't you, you don't have the right to speak into my life. Doesn't the Bible say not to judge me? I'm not judging you. I'm pointing out sin. Pointing out sin. But I'm telling you that Jesus will judge you according to that sin. And the judge is not us. The judge is the word of God. Jesus is the word and the word became flesh. So we use the word. It's not our opinions about what the word says, by the way. Boy, going to the movies. That is sin. Wait, where's that at? In the Bible. If something has control over you, it doesn't matter what it is. It could be going to the movies. If it has control over you, then yeah, it's sin to you. If it's an idol to you, then yeah, it could be sin to you. But, but, but again, we're not the judge, are we? Let the word do the work. Let truth stand on its own. You don't have to make things up to make people more holy because guess what? They, can, they can't even handle ten commandments. Don't add any more, please. Please don't add any more. Jesus makes equality with the Father. He says, I and the... Uh, but even if I do... Uh, my judgment is true, for it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father. We're the same. We're on the same standing. We're, I'm equal with God. Now, this wasn't anything new that Jesus said here. 
He said this before, and in fact, that's why they, the Pharisees want to kill him. John chapter 5, verse 17 and 18. My father is working until now, and I am working. Jesus is making himself equal with God there. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. So based on his heavenly origin and his equality with the Father, Jesus' testimony should be taken as truth. But just in case you're not convinced yet, he says, let, let me throw one other thing at you. L let me talk a little bit about the law. Look at verse 17. In your law, it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. Jesus points to the law and declares, uh, the, the law that declares whether something is true or not. He says, well, let's just talk about truth for a second. What does the Bible say about it? What does the scripture say about it? Well, if two or three come as a witness, well, then that's considered a fact, right? Deuteronomy chapter 17, verse 6, on the evidence of two witnesses or of three witnesses, the one who is to die shall be put to death. A person shall not be put to death on the evidence of one witness. It was upon the witness of two or three that something uh, would be considered fact there. And now isn't it ironic? <laughs> isn't it ironic that Jesus would use this law to prove his messianic office, to prove the fact that he is God, and it would be the very same law that they would use to kill him. The very same law that they would use to condemn him. Jesus says, let me throw the law up at you. Oh, we're going to use that one on you, Jesus. We'll get two false witnesses, of course, to bear false witness against you, but we are going to kill you based on that law. The Pharisees, no doubt, want to mock Jesus here. They don't want to believe in Jesus. They have no faith whatsoever in him. And now, they're going to pull the trump card on him. He's brought up the Father. Oh, 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 your Father, we've been waiting for this, Jesus. Look at verse 19. They said to him, therefore, where is your Father, by the way? Hey, Jesus, yeah, tell us exactly where your father is again. Last time I checked, you're an illegitimate child. Last time I checked, you were born from sexual immorality, right? You were born from sin. That's what they thought. In fact, verse, verse uh, 41 confirms that for us. It tells us that that's, that's their mindset. Oh, tell us about your father. Sure, Jesus. Now, now you have to understand, during this time, Many, many people believed that Jesus' real dad was perhaps a Roman soldier. That was kind of a, a, a rumor that would be floating out amongst the people. You know, it wasn't Joseph. Everybody knew that. They knew that he was born out of a scandal. Now, listen, anytime you run for office, they're going to bring up these things. You understand that. Look at the presidential campaigns that happened. They're going to dig deep. Jesus Christ is running for messianic office and you can expect them to bring up everything about his past. But here's the deal. He's not worried about that because he knows the truth. He understands. He was born of a virgin. The people don't get that. I hope you get that today. I hope you believe in that because Jesus Christ, if he was not born of a virgin, was born into sinful flesh. You get that. That's why the, a virgin birth is so important is because Jesus Christ had to be born from the Spirit of God. Not from a male seed, but from the Spirit of God into the seed of the woman. As Genesis 3.15 would promise us, right? If Jesus didn't come that way, if you don't believe in the virgin birth, you have no Savior. That's the way it works. But the Word of God tells us that Jesus was born of a virgin. And so we know that to be true. And it promised us that. Tell us about your father, Jesus. <laughs> scandalous. Scandalous. They're trying to get scandalous on Jesus. Look at verse, verse 19. Jesus answered, You know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. These words he spoke in the treasury as, as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. I want you to notice something here. Jesus never takes off the gloves. He never gets out of character. Even when accusations and insults are hurled at him, 
that hurts. Because I want to be like that too. And I hope you do too. He relied on the same spirit you're filled with. You understand that. Jesus didn't get out of character here. Empowered by the same spirit within us. Never letting the moment overtake him. Turns back to truth. He turns it back to truth. Oh, you guys know me. You know my father. Which, in light of who his father is, is incredibly cutting, by the way. You know my father? You don't know my father. His father is God the Father. His father is Yahweh, the one they would call God. And he says, you don't know him. What do you mean we don't know him? We're, we're the religious leaders, Jesus. Of course, we, we know everything about God. You know everything about his law, and then everything about how you think it applies to your life, but you know nothing about his character. You know nothing about his love. You know nothing about his forgiveness. You know nothing about his humility. You know nothing about the character of God. You have changed, you have made a God in your own image. You don't know God. Now that would cut to the heart of a Jew to say something like that to a very religious person. You ever done that before? <sighs> Man, that would cut to the heart of a very religious person. It would split them wide open to say, you don't know God. That would haunt them at night. Jesus says, you don't know him, and you don't know me. Now, at this point, you would think that they would rip their clothes, throw dust in the air, and they would take him by hand and choke him out. But notice what it says here. No one touched him. And we know they want to arrest him, right? They want to kill him. They, they want to, to put him to death, and they don't because it's not his hour. His hour had not yet come. This is like the third or fourth time that we've heard that same phrase said in, the, in John chapter 7 and 8. His hour had not yet come. And that, my friends, is the same promise that you and I can hold on to. When our hour has come, we will go to be with our Father. But until then, you have the protection of God upon your life. He had the protection of His Father. You have the protection of God the Father upon your life today. Until He calls you home. So we have the declaration of the light. We have the opposition to the light. Finally, the reality of rejecting the light. Look at verse 21. So He said to them again, I am going away, and you will seek me, and you will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. So the Jews said, will he kill himself since he says, where I am going, you cannot come? He said to them, you are from below. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins unless you believe that I am he. You will, you will die in your sin. Jesus speaks about his death here when he talks about departing. And, and, and what, what it means for them. He said, I'm going away. I'm going to die, and then I will be out of your way. And they thought, oh, he's talking about suicide. He must be going to kill himself. No, you guys are going to kill me. In fact, you're going to murder me. You're going to murder me. But, and in so doing, you're going to reject the light, and you're going to be accountable for your sin in that moment. Jesus said, you'll die one day. And you will die having rejected the light. And therefore, your sin will be present before the Father and He will judge you. And then you will die the second death. You will die eternally. This is a, th when Jesus said, you will die in your sin. This is probably the most sobering statement that Jesus could say to anybody. You will die in your sin. Because of the ramifications of what that means. That means eternal separation from God. You see, sin and God can't go in the same sentence. Sin separates you from God. It was sin in the Garden of Eden that kicked Adam and Eve out of the presence of God. They walked with Him daily, and it was because of their sin that they got kicked out. Sin separates you. So sin and God don't go together. If there's sin that hasn't been dealt with or hasn't been forgiven or if Jesus Christ hasn't covered a sin, then, then it, you're... You're, you're in big trouble. There's judgment coming. 
Jesus is saying that there is eternal damnation. To be dead, to die in your sin means to eternally die. Why? Because you rejected the light. You see, God's not sentencing you to that. You're choosing that. God said, I sent my son to die for you on the cross, to pay for your sin, to shed his blood for you, that you might come to me, but you have to believe in him and what he's done, not in you and what you've done. You're not good, but God is good. And he sent his perfect son to come and to live and to die and to rise again from the dead for you personally. It's the only way you can escape dying in your sin is to believe in him. That's what he said. Jesus said, unless you believe that I am, you will die in your sin. This is an exclusive statement with eternal ramifications. To believe Jesus is I am, that he is God and Messiah. It's not enough to believe that Jesus was a good man, but you must believe that he is the God man. And only he can reveal that. But it starts with simple faith in a person. I want to tell you something about my personal testimony. When I came to Christ, I did not believe that Jesus was God. <gasps> Wait a second. Don't do that. Because here's the thing. I came simply by faith. God revealed himself to me. And that knowledge came. You don't come to Christ with, with that knowledge initially. It comes to you. It's through revelation, through relationship with Jesus Christ. I believe he was Savior, and that, that's all it takes for him. Just a simple step of faith to step into him and say, God, I don't, I don't know anything about theology. I don't know anything about, I don't know much about anything, but I know I need you. And Jesus said, that's enough for me. That's enough for me. Just a simple, simple step of faith. And he says, that's enough for me. Now I'm going to blow your mind. That's what he does. He blows your mind when he starts to reveal himself to you. I remember, you know, asking people, it wasn't, I didn't, it's not that I didn't want to believe that Jesus was God, but that I didn't get it. I'm a sinful man. I don't understand these things. But here's what happened. As I was reading God's Word, and I, I sat down with pastors and people in different places, and I remember people getting really mad at me as a new believer, just thinking, man, what's wrong with you people? It's not that I don't want to believe, but I don't get it. I, I don't care. You, you can't make this make sense to me. Only God can do that. And he did. I sit there reading his Word one day, and all of a sudden, my mind was blown Jesus is God. Jesus is God. Now, I'm not, no, Jesus is, now I went out there and tried to shake people up and say, Jesus is God, don't you understand? No, I didn't, but, but we, we do that. So I'm just saying, just meet people where they are, man, because it, it, took, it took a little time for God to reveal that to me, but he did. And it's just a simple step of faith that he said, if you've got to believe in me, I'll reveal myself to you. You will know me, and I know Jesus way better today than I did when I stepped into relationship with him. But I was in relationship with him. He changed my life. My life changed dramatically. So what I'm saying is, is that if people don't got the theology right initially, that's okay. It's okay. Just let God's word do the work. Because it's God's word that's, that's alive and active and sharper than any twisted sword. So Jesus goes on, he says, man, all you got to do is believe. Believe that I am not just simply a good man, but I'm the God man. Don't just believe that I'm God's son, but I am God the son, the second person of the Trinity. Jesus is the great I am. Do you believe that this morning? Believe that Jesus is God. If you don't, then I ask you to seek his face through his word. Ask him, God, reveal that truth to me. Help me to have a better understanding of it. Now understand, you're going to have to come by faith. And you're going to have to receive it by faith. But he will show you. He goes on, look at, look at verse 25. So they said to him, who are you? Now this seems innocent. Who are you? L like they really want to know. They don't want to know. They're mocking him in unbelief. Jesus says, I I've been telling you who I am. You don't care. It's not like I I'm going to stop throwing my pearl before swine because um, you guys don't really want to know. You want to you hang me. You want to catch me in something. So just, so he makes a very simple statement. Everything that I've said, I am, I am. So take that, you know. I mean, 
He's telling them everything that I've said. Verse 26, I have much to say about you and much to judge, but he who sent me is true, and I declare the world to the world that I have heard from him. Jesus just indicted these fellas that they are now held responsible for the knowledge that they have. Do you know that? You sit in church and you listen to God's word, and, and every sermon you listen to and every truth that comes through, that you are now accountable to that truth in your life. And God says, you know what? I, I, I'm revealing truth because truth is what sets you free. Truth is what sets you free. So here's the thing is you have to take a hold of that truth and then you have to apply it to your life. Now, when the truth is presented, you grab hold of it and you, you, don't, you don't just say, amen, brother, and then you just don't listen to anything Jesus just said. You're like, yes, I received that and I apply it to my life because you're held accountable to it. Verse 27, they did not understand what he had been speaking about the Father, that's what unbelief does. It inhibits understanding. It inhibits understanding. If you don't want to know, you're not going to know. But if you want to know, if you seek me, you'll find me. If you seek me with all your heart. Verse 28, so Jesus said to them, when you have lifted, me, lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He. You'll know that I'm God. When, when, when you see what happens, when you crucify me, when you, when you watch the temple, the, the veil be split in two, you'll know that I'm God. When you watch darkness come over the city, you'll know that I'm God. When you watch dead people walk, rise up from their grave, you'll know that I'm God. That's when you'll know, when you lift me up, you will know. Oh, I got so excited I lost where I'm at here. <laughs> then you will know that I am He. And that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father has taught me. The Father taught Jesus. The Father's teaching you through him. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. Do you always do the things that are pleasing to him? Do you always do the things that are pleasing to him? He wants you to, and you want to, but the flesh is... The, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. So here's how we relate to God. We relate to God through his son. He relates to us through his son. And so our relationship with the father is through the son, you see. And it's just a continual ebb and flow of, of Lord, I blew it. Forgive me. Repentance. Turn around, Lord. Give me strength. I'm going to receive that truth. I'm going to walk in it. Help me, God. Strengthen me. It, it's that forever. It's a sanctification process. Burn out the... Burn out the dross, Lord. Get rid of the stuff that's in my life that shouldn't be there. Jesus tells them, man, my death is going to vindicate every claim that I've made about myself and every claim that has ever been made about me by the prophets. All doubt will be erased to anyone who has an open heart to me. This takes a little faith. Well, some had faith that day. Some had enough to believe upon him in, in these moments. And they became followers of Jesus through his testimony. And I pray, hey, if you haven't made that decision today, you make that decision. Just take a step of faith. Believe upon him. He does not want you to die in your sin. He does not want you to die in your sin. You have to reach out to him today. The truth has been presented. You have to reach out and take it now and receive it for yourself. Your friend can't do it for you. Your mom and dad can't do it for you. Your grandma and grandpa can't do it for you. It's a personal choice that you have to make. And Jesus is calling you to that today. And he's saying, come to me. I want to forgive you. I want to wipe all that stuff away. I want to give you forgiveness. I want to give you eternal life. I want to bless your life. I want to blow your mind. And he will. What about for those who are following Jesus today? What does it mean for us? Well, Jesus is the light of the world. And when Jesus comes into you, then you now become what? The light of the world. The light of the world is inside of you, and now you let the light of the world shine out of you. You're a saint. What does that mean? I'm glad you asked. Because a, a, a pastor was once telling his congregation, he was teaching them, and he said, you're all saints. And he goes, you know what a saint is, right? And the whole congregation went quiet. No one wanted to say a word, and a little kid looked up behind the pastor, and there was a stained glass mural of Jesus and his apostles there. And he said, he raised his little hand, and he said, it's the people that the light shine through? That's right. 
That's right, from the mural, you know, you get it, right? Did I mess that punchline up? <laughs> you're the light of the world, man. You're, you're simply to allow the light to, to, to shine through you. Just as we're to allow the Holy Spirit to flow in you and out of you, we're to allow Jesus' light to come in and out. But it takes you being in the light to shine the light. You understand? You've got to be in the light. You've got to be in His Word. You've got to be in constant you know, relationship with Him so that you can be that light in that moment that He wants you to be. Don't get caught up in the darkness, man. Don't get caught up in the darkness. Walk in the light. And allow him to use you as a, just a, 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 a little bit of light in somebody else's. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this morning and for your word, Lord. Thank you for revealing to us what you've done for us, Lord. And sending your son, Jesus Christ, who is the light of the world. The one that has come to not only expose our sin, but to be the remedy for our sin to bring light into darkness, Lord, and then to cause us to be the light also. I pray, Lord, that you would help us today, each one of us individually. You know where we are. You know what we, need to he what we needed to hear this morning, and you know what we need to hear even right now by your Spirit. Lord, speak into our lives. Shine the light into the darkness in our lives. Lord, expose the sin that we need to deal with this morning, and may we be repentant. May we come to you this morning, Lord, and confess our sin and to turn away from it and to turn to you, God. For some this morning, Lord, may they open their eyes to the light of the world that was sent for them, not only to expose their darkness, but to be the remedy, Lord. For those here this morning that need relationship with you, open their eyes, Lord. For those in this room this morning, Lord, that are Christians who have been walking in the light, continue, Lord, to give them the strength to walk in the light. And not only that, but to be the light to the world. Lord, may we as a church be a city on a hill, Lord, shining brightly for you. And may we as individual Christians go, going into the world, may we, may we let our light so shine before men that they might see our good works and glorify our Father in heaven. May you help us, God. We need your help by your Spirit. Would you baptize us this morning and empower us, God, to be the light? Lord, do the work in, your heart, in the hearts of the people this morning as only you can. And we look to you, Father, and you alone to deal with the darkness of our hearts. We thank you for Jesus Christ, for his life, his death, his resurrection, Lord. And we pray just for continued work in our lives that we would let his light be seen in this world through us. God, continue your work now as we worship you through one last song in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. You can hear more of Pastor Tim's studies through the Word of God on our website, www.calvaryofcolumbia.org. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you'll join us again as we continue to study God's Word.